Back to you, Paige. Okay, so if we could have our lovely panel um, introduce yourselves, maybe if uh, we could just kind of go down the row, um, introduce yourself in maybe two sentences and share kind of what you're, what you're doing now or what you've done in the past. My name's Rebecca. Um, I am an orthopedia. I served in the Horn of Africa um, and in 2020 transitioned back to the U.S. I do member care now for Pioneers. Hi, my name is Ava. We, I'm a pediatrician. We went to the field after 10 years in the workforce. My husband is a family medicine physician. We're in East Asia. We arrived with three children. We now have five, including one in college. I'm Paul Fonkin. Um, my <coughs> wife and I and our three kids uh, spent eight years in Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia, um, I'm a family doctor working mainly in family medicine development and teaching, and my wife's a counselor. Hi, I'm Allison. I'm a physical therapist by background. Um, I served overseas in North Africa for about six years. Uh, three of those years while well, I was single and three married with our daughter. And now I work with um, Frontiers in Mobilization on the medical team. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks for introducing your yourselves. Um, we're really excited that, that you all are here to be able to give us your, your wisdom and, and advice and all of that. Um, maybe if we could start off, if I don't know if you guys um, have just a, a brief story or just some little something off the top of your mind that you would like to share with the group before we get started with, uh, with the panel discussion. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we were married with three young children ages five and under and spent about a year preparing to go to East Asia. And we arrived in June, and six weeks later, I discovered I was five months pregnant with our fourth child. Wow. I'll, that's all I'll share for now. Okay. <laughs> Love it. That was a good one. <laughs> do you think any, any other of you guys have something? Allison, do you have Um. There's a lot of good stories I'm sure we all have. I'm just going to pull one out of the hat, but um, I love how, how uh, healthcare and medicine and, I mean, my experience in therapy um, just opened doors for gospel sharing. Um, one instance um, was we have a, a mom that was coming to our children's therapy center, and, and it's a long story, but I got to know her well and eventually was doing home visits um, and then they turned into not being therapy-related but gospel-related, and I got to share um, stories and videos with her because she was illiterate, and uh, we watched um, films, short films, and she was able to repeat the stories back to me, and then she was sharing them with her family members, and um, it was just really exciting, so I'm encouraged by that. I'll share a quick story. Sure, um, yeah. Um, early on, we went on a, a little ski trip uh, with some of our local colleagues, and um, we were up in this, you could call it a ski resort, but it was just uh, one little tiny cabin, and we were the only ones up there, and it was just one little uh, metal cable that we used for the lift. Um, but uh, we got stuck up there for an extra night. Um, we had no extra food except just a few little things, and we had like 15 of us. And we made a pot of soup the first night, and we just had a little bit. It should have been just like two cups of soup. We kept serving everybody, and it kept being enough, and we had some left over. 
And then the next morning we had a little bit of uh, oatmeal and some milk. Um, we mixed it together, same thing. It just kept going and going. So it's the only time I've experienced that in my life. But wow, that's pretty incredible. Rebecca? Sure. Uh, one of the things that stands out to me is uh, how the Lord worked in my heart to um, better understand in a cultural context how we need to adjust what practicing medicine really even looks like. Um, for me, that could be very practical of just going forward and doing uh, doing the physical aspects of practicing medicine, but the, the heart of compassion in that it can be so profound. And one of the things I would love to do if I ever had time towards the end of the day was just go sit with patients that didn't have people visiting them and just um, sit next to them, hold their hands, pray for them. Um, and I didn't really think that meant much to people, but... I remember one day at the hospital in particular, I was getting ready to leave, and, and this family comes running up to me and grabs my hand, and I thought there must be an, an emergency in the ward, and pulls me to Grandma's bedside, and, they, and ultimately they said, you didn't sit with Grandma today, you didn't pray for her today. Um, and it, it just, it reminded me, like, people see that, they understand that, um, and it means a lot to me. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for sharing, guys. Um, so, are we ready to move on? Sounds good. Okay, so we will move on to the panel. So this first section of this um, of this breakout session will be a, like a panel Q&A, questions from you guys that you, you are going to be able to submit. Um, so can you see the email listed up there? It's question at inhisimage.org. Um, that's the way that we'll be getting the questions kind of filtered through, and I'll be able to, to see those, bring those up, and allow our panelists to answer. Um, so if you have a question already in your mind, you can go ahead and start submitting those, and we'll gradually be watching for them. Um, we'll try to maybe kind of keep it to, as we're answering questions, keeping them to certain topics, do a couple questions from each thing, so we're able to cover a, a variety of, of things that might be on your mind. Um, I think the first um, topic or thing that we may start with is selecting an agency. If you guys have any particular questions about agency selection or just anything in that scope, um, we could maybe start with a few questions from that. Um, but obviously, too, if you have any other questions within other um, areas as well, go ahead and send those in, and we'll kind of gradually move through and get through what we can. We won't be able to answer every single question, but, um, but hopefully it'll be able to... Um, answer questions that are applicable to to a big group. So, um, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Does anybody have a question right off the bat? Maybe with the with the topic of selecting an agency. Sure. How did you select your agency? Okay. Yeah. So the question that she just said, this was good. Asking uh, our panelists, how did you select your agency? Yeah. I don't know if what do you guys have. We came to this conference. <laughs> okay. But, and, and actually, we, we went to a small uh, church, part of a larger denomination, and uh, avoiding names because of our location. But um, they had a booth here, and we, did, we were like, oh, we didn't realize that our, our church denomination had an org. So we got to talking. But I think the other thing to look at is um, having an organization we think is super important because Lone Rangers, it's, it's really hard and longevity uh, can be shortened. But also if you have a team and if you're coming with a family, um, it, it really softens the landing. 
we didn't have our team, we could not have made it for the 13 years. So, especially member care. That's good. What about, as I think about how I selected an agency, I, I really thought about, like, what, what did I feel the Lord was calling me to? What were the main things he had put on my heart? And one of the big ones for me was unreached peoples. Um, I had a, a strong heart for unreached peoples. And so that was kind of where I quickly was able to zone in on where, what are organizations that are specifically focused on unreached peoples. Um, and that helped narrow down the process. And then really just thinking about what was core um, and essential to me. Um, and so getting to know an org, what, what are its core values? What, are, what is its mission statement? Um, what, what does member care look like? What does mobilization look like? All of those steps of, does that meet the need for what I see and what the Lord's calling me to? Good, thanks for sharing. Maybe briefly, if you two could go ahead and answer that question. Sure. I partly grew up overseas, so had been exposed to people from different groups, and that helped influence my decision. And then other conferences like Urbana and this. Um, but the, the things I looked for were um, making sure the organization fit um, our values and the way we like to work and where we wanted to work. Um, we chose an organization that was international with sending organizations from all around the world and interdenominational because we just wanted to um, be part of an international group um, that more reflected the body of Christ. My story is a little backwards, um, and I don't really advise this when I talk to people, but I ended up, a long story, but telling the Lord I didn't want to go to the Muslim world, but I wanted to go to an unreached people group, but the Lord sent me to a Muslim unreached people group. Um, and I was short-term. It was a short-term trip, but then through that... Um, got connected, got to know uh, Frontiers as an organization, and um, settled in there. So, it, it, yeah, it, my, my story is a little strange, but I, all these things that everybody shared are, are so important. Um, the member care piece, the what are the values, what are the missions, what, what is the mission, what is the Lord calling you to, how do you see discipleship fitting into um, the Lord's plan, what does that look like, you know, asking these good questions with an org are all good things. Yeah, and I think to piggyback off of that, we did get a question that came in. Um, what are the most important questions to ask sending agencies? Um, maybe if one or two of you guys could share what you feel like are the you know, top things that maybe you would ask um, yeah, to help, help guide in that area. I really appreciate that our organization doesn't place a high value in having their name at the top of everything, that they're very partnership-oriented and humble in that regard, so um, depending on the context, it may not be advisable to have org, but just in terms of how, how partnership oriented are they versus solo silo. One question you might not think to ask is just where are the decisions made? Are they more central? Is it hierarchical top-down, or is it field-oriented and more bottom-up? Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Um, we have another uh, question. Um, it's maybe a little bit more specific, so I'm not sure if we'll have an answer. Maybe we can, you know, in the future. But it's um, in related to selecting an agency. Um, the question is: Are there agencies that specifically assist with working part time in the U.S. and part time abroad? If people are maybe interested more of a hybrid type setup. 
I'm not aware of any agencies that are specialized on that, but many agencies are flexible and able to do that. Um, we went full-time race support first eight years. Um, since then, we've been intermittent, self-supporting, working in the U.S. and overseas. What's a reason to go full-time? Okay. Oh, there are... Great question. Yeah, we, we're both medical, so we felt really bad in the beginning about asking little old ladies for, for money to, to support us in the vision God had called us to. But um, we, we learned through the trainings that we did and the support raising boot camps that um, the, the money that we're raising is going to God, and God is doing the work, and, and we're kind of in that pathway. But it's not like horizontal giving, it's vertical giving. Um, Vertical giving, yeah. But um, if you if you have to focus on a job somewhere else in another country with one foot on each side, it's really hard over time. You're going to get burned out. And I think a real big reason to go full time, especially early on, is so that you can learn language and culture. That takes at least five years. Um, probably, it's really a never-ending task. And really, the only way we can work effectively now part-time is because we had all those roots and connections and cultural sensitivity. I'm just going to add a piece to that. Like, the, even if you, you know, going full-time overseas, things have changed um, with social media and connections back to your home country. And so I'm just going to throw that out there because I think it's important when you do go overseas and full-time, you need to be in the culture that you're in and you need to love the people that you're in and you need to be present. And if you're constantly on WhatsApp or whatever talking with people back home, it's really hard to connect with local people. So that's an added challenge um, these days with their interconnectedness and the long-term piece. I don't know if that question was focused more on am I called to overseas versus, you know, if it was a support-raising thing. Um, wrestle with the Lord with that one um, and ask him what he's, um, what he's calling you to. Yeah, that's good. Um, we have some questions uh, about location. Um, so there's a few questions about, you know, how did you, well, one question was where in the world did you start or where do you start, which um, is a good question, but I think maybe to narrow that down a little bit more, there's some questions about, you know, were you sure about location or timing before you, um, you know, decided to pursue it or how did you go about um, choosing a location? Maybe if uh, some of you guys could expound on that idea. Yeah, I actually came into this process very open. Um, when the Lord called me at first, I, I, I bucked at it. I'll uh, be very honest. I, I struggled with it, particularly as a single individual. Um, I was struggling with going overseas alone and what that looks like. And, and eventually the Lord worked a process of surrender in me. But in that process, he, he had me surrender all, um, including location, including medical, including everything. He just said surrender it at my feet and, and I will lead you. And so when I chose an organization, I went to my organization and really thought they would tell me where to go. That was that was my assumption. Like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go anywhere you tell me. Um, but Pioneers um, really says, no, we want the Lord to lead you in that process. Um, and he did. Um, it, it's a long story. I can't really go through the whole story. But he gradually made it very clear who he was calling me to, what he was calling me to do, um, and, and that just became very apparent. And one of the things that, and I really encourage this to you, 
Um, I met with my pastor every month in the process of preparing to go overseas, and every single time I would meet with him, he would ask me, how is the Lord confirming his call in your life um, right now? And then his very next question would be, have you written this down? Because when it gets hard, and it will get hard, um, to have that confirmation of, no, this was what the Lord called me to. This is how he's leading me. And eventually I actually went back in my journal and I, I drew stones next to it. And I call them my stones of remembrance. Uh, because those are so powerful in those hard moments to be able to look back and say, no, this was God, this was not me. It's really good. We, uh, we said, we'll go somewhere in Asia or Africa. So it was really wide open, and we didn't know how to narrow it down. But then our, it was time to decide on where to take a vision trip, so we really prayed and asked God for guidance. He said, we need to decide on week. And in that week, like emails and connections from multiple unrelated people all pointed us and zoomed in on this one location. It was really amazing, and it had not been on our radar at all. And so I think, you know, God is really, God takes us seriously. And the, and the other thing that we did off of you is after this conference, one of our uh, friends, this couple we, that had been at this conference with us, we decided to be accountability partners. So for the next year or two, we met once a month and uh, just prayed and talked about our progress and getting to the field. And, and they're some of our closest friends to this day, even though we went in the world very widely and our journeys have been very different, but we are, we're actually living with them while we're in the United States. That's really sweet. Yes, something real quick? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, for us, it was a combination of, of general statistics, thinking about the unreached areas, and then God's laser focus. But I, I think the plenary session this morning is a, a good place to start to kind of narrow where you're going. If you, uh, unless God is telling you specifically otherwise, I think focusing on uh, unengaged and unreached people groups is a wise way to start. Yeah, that's good. Um, we have a question about um, as far as where in the discernment process of going abroad or doing long-term missions do you get involved with a sending organization? Is it later down the road, earlier? What was, I guess, advice or experience? I think we got some people <laughs> wanting to speak into that. Um, I'm, I'm guessing every organization is a little different. Um, from our standpoint, we're at, we'll talk with you wherever you're at. Um, we'll walk with you, you know, I'm walking with pre-med students, you know, all the way through as long as they're, as long as the Lord continues to lead and pursue, and that's fine. I think starting the conversations early is helpful because as we we're talking and choosing an agency, the Lord directs as you take steps as well. Um, and so if you just start taking steps in one direction with a different organization or whatever, and the Lord may steer you in another one, just... Keep moving, keep talking, keep the conversation going. Be in community with people that are missions-minded. Um, get connected early. That's my recommendation. Yeah, this is a great time for equipping and preparing. Use the, use the time wisely. And so by choosing an organization earlier or at least starting the conversation with organizations early, um, you start to get a sense of, like, what do I need to be doing in this interim period to be better equipped and prepared for what the Lord's calling me to good. Um, maybe if we can transition to a little bit different of a topic. We've actually we've had a few questions come in about um, pursuing missions maybe when one, one spouse um, feels that calling and the other one doesn't. Um, I'm not sure if um, 
if any of y'all can speak into just advice on how to navigate that um, or, or encouragement, ways to think, maybe things to consider in that situation. I, I have a few comments, not from our personal experience, because actually a common uh, sense of being called to overseas work was what brought my husband and I into contact with each other. But his brother, my, my brother-in-law and his wife, she felt the call to missions for a number of years before he did. He was an accountant. But she just laid it in God's hands and prayed about it. It was probably five to seven years later that, that Mark woke up one day and was like, let's go, you know. And so I think if you're, if you're unbalanced in where that is right now, I would just encourage you to be patient. And every day that you're not on the field is a day of preparation. Because we were in the United States for ten years before we went overseas working and not sure if we were going to go, but just having an open open mind and everything we learned in those 10 years we have used over and over overseas. This is, this is great. It was a great story. And having people come around you too, having your small group pray for you, having your pastor, whatever your community is, get people praying for you. Um, you know, decide if you're going to take the step together to at least take a step. You know, I think sometimes you even need to take a step back. Are, are we even ready to take a step forward? Like maybe it's maybe we'll take the perspectives class together, or maybe we'll go to a, a prayer meeting together every month or something like that. But just being involved in the community, seeing what the Lord does, um, talk about it, pray about it, and get others involved in that in that journey with you. Sure. I'll add one more thing. There are so many ways to be involved with international communities, even in quite small towns in the United States. And there's, there's refugees everywhere. There's people from other countries who, um, who are not assimilated into the United States. College students, I mean, whatever, whatever you, uh, wherever you live, there's going to be people you just have to work for. You might have some resistance from other family members, too. I remember when we decided to do this, my parents were not too happy. They're non-believers. And uh, over the years, um, it's been a good opportunity, really, to share with them and to respect each other's opinion and honor each other. Yeah, that's really good, Paul. I'm sorry, were you going to say something? I just one quick story just to add to this. That don't, don't give up hope. Um, I, I work with a field worker who felt called when she was 12 years old to go overseas, met her husband in nursing school. Her husband had no desire to go overseas. Um, ultimately, when he passed away when she was 60, she went to the field. She's 85 now. She's still serving in her country. Um, and God has used her powerfully where she's at. Yeah, that's a really powerful story. Um, I think to piggyback a little bit off of what Paul mentioned as far as maybe um, resistance or um, maybe not lack of support from family, um, if there's any advice on navigating that, um, questions about that. Again, get, get people to pray for you. Get people to pray for your family members. I encourage um, some of the people that I'm walking with now, have these discussion with, discussions with your parents early, especially single women who are interested in the Muslim world. Um, start these discussions early. Um, you know, Maybe read a book together um, about what the Lord is doing in the Muslim world, and you can talk about it. Um, again, if they're believers or not believers, you know, that's a little bit of a difference you know, in how you navigate that. But pray. And um, continue the conversation. Don't stuff it. Um, 
get it out and talk about it um, and develop that relationship with your, your parents or whoever it is um, so they can see your heart and then maybe the Lord will change their heart as well in that process. Get them to take perspectives. I, you know, that class does a lot of things, so um, help, help them get involved in some sort of mission-related thing, um, uh, international ministry locally. Um, yeah. yeah in those discussions, as you dig down to deeper levels, usually you'll find that that your opinion and their opinion is driven by some really good things. Um, so if we can get down to those root levels, there's usually a, a place where you can meet. Um, we have a few questions um, as far as timing in, in clinical practice. So there's questions about um, should, should I uh, stay in the U.S., get more experience before going abroad from a clinical perspective versus going immediately how to navigate that. Um, and there's also a question as well, too, I don't know if any of you can speak into as far as um, do you completely cut all ties and leave clinical practice in the U.S., like in U.S.-based healthcare systems? How do you manage that, or do you still maintain any uh, U.S.-based relationships? My wife and I were expecting to go immediately after I finished residency, and we were signed up with the organization um, and then God put the brakes on that in various ways, and uh, we stayed for seven years, got experience, and then God put us in a situation where I was teaching mainly, and I couldn't have done that without that extra time of experience. Um, but during the time we were in overseas work, um, every home assignment, I always went back to my usual clinic and worked, and that turned out to be a really good thing. Because um, when we did come back, I was able to get back into hospital and clinic work, and uh, I, I think it's good to keep up um, options in both areas. Uh, now with locum tenens, it's it's really pretty easy to get some brief work while you're back, uh, and I think it's a good idea. Um, we. Maybe the next question, we have um, several questions about preparation in the in the waiting period. So while people are, people are in training, um, if you guys have any recommendations on valuable um, ways that you were able to prepare or that you've heard of other people as far as yeah, recommend. I already mentioned the perspectives class. <laughs> um, um, getting involved in local local ministry, you know, there's so many internationals here. Find a people group or um, the people from the country that you're interested in going to. You could even start doing language if you wanted with, with these people. There's so many opportunities now. Um, sometimes people will move to a missional community um, in different areas. There's different healthcare missional based communities where they are in preparation for moving overseas. And so people will do that where maybe they're not working a full-time job, but they're working the part-time, and then they're doing missional work within their community they're living. Um, there's great, um, there's great books out there. Um, be in community. I don't, I can't emphasize that enough. You need to be in community with other people who are on the same track, or at least who are missions-minded and are, you know, going to be behind you praying for you and sending. I would also say get involved in opportunities for practicing sharing your faith. Moving overseas does not make it easier to suddenly um, share your faith with people. And so if you're not doing that here, likelihood is you're not going to do it naturally at all there. Um, and so 
if, if, you're, if your church has an evangelism um, component to it, get involved in that. Or just in your job, in your everyday life, work on sharing your faith more naturally and openly because it's not just going to automatically ha- happen. I would also add that whatever your work is, be prepared to go far beyond the scope of what you thought you were trained for. <laughs> um, if you're, you know, I, I have a friend who's a pediatrician, and where she went, she ended up doing uh, deliveries of babies, you know, and that, that's not really part of our, our residency training. But, um, and I, I trained as a pediatrician, but I've gotten involved with preparing marketing materials and uh, organizing teaching sessions for social workers and other allied health people and and just like other sort of the broader scope of of not just practicing your trade but how to how to pass that on to the people that you're working around like if you really want to multiply your skill set learn to teach and get practice in in teaching whatever your field is because that's going to be the most bang for your buck in terms of your professional work I would add also practice working in teams. And solving conflict in teams. <laughs> Not running away from it, because you can't run away from your teammates when you're on location. Yeah, that's good. Very important. Um, I think maybe we can transition um, to, um, we have a handful of questions um, about kids, having kids on the field. Um, the, the, the first question maybe we could ask is, um, how do you handle having a call to missions, having kids at the same time? How do you manage that? Or uh, this particular question says, how do you keep them from slowing down this this vision and, and the pursuit of missions? Either of y'all could speak into that with kids. You guys probably have more wisdom than I do. I have a, a seven-year-old. Um, they're part of your family story. Okay, so they're, you know... They're not going to slow you down. They're part of the picture. And so what is the Lord doing with you as a family and how he's leading you to the field? And, yes, there may be a seven-year pause. You know, that's okay. Um, Just stay in prayer. See them as part of it. Invite them into whatever you're doing. I mean, kids are really a blessing on the field. um, You know, you bring them with you on home visits, and they become a part of that story. They see how you're talking about Christ. Um, with with these people, they develop a love for these people. You know, they'll pick up some language. There's, I mean, there's, they're part of it. Include them in that. Don't see them as this. You know, you're pulling them along, but they're they're part of it. And yes, there's going to be emotional challenges along with that, and they're going to wrestle with that. Why are we? You know, we go home for Christmas, and it's like Disneyland. You know, for a week, and then we go back to the field, and it's really challenging. It's part of the story. It's part of, you know, trusting the Lord with what he is doing in their hearts through this, too. I think it's really important to remember that your children are your first mission field as well. You have children, and um, we don't want to gain the whole world but lose our soul or our own, own children. Not that we have control over them as they get older, but that we really want to prioritize that they feel like they're not just tagging along on, on my journey, but we're, we're we're together. So I think it's really important to, to have that view because they will know if they are left kind of just being dragged along. And the other thing is, even though you know I 
I, my part of my identity is a professional uh, person, a physician, but so much of my ministry over the years has been in the role of mom, with with my neighbors, with other pregnant people, um, having moms groups and pregnancy topics and just random strangers, but really cultivating deep friendships with other mothers in my country of service. And that has really been, I think, the area where I see in the most kind of ongoing continuity of ministry, cultivating those friendships. Where we live, mothers don't have friends. They're too busy striving to, to help their children get educated, and, and they, they put their own friendships on the back burner. And so, so that's an area where I see a big gap. Um, a follow-up question, just to do one more question on the theme of, of children and family, is um, what are some of the, the challenges or difficulties in raising kids on the field? We had some questions of if it's you know smaller kids and then how that may change when their teenagers are moving on to college. Um, yeah, just any of the, the big challenges that, that were experienced and how you navigated those. Uh, we found that uh, the adolescent years uh, became challenging there. Um, elementary school years were great. They played out in the courtyard with other kids and learned to appreciate balls and rocks and sticks instead of lots of computer games. There are often a lot of things about the culture that you'll live in overseas that might be more healthy than the culture we live in here. <laughs> so that's a good thing. But when they got to the adolescent years, it was a lot harder to interact in healthy ways with the local kids. And, uh, and then they started to have just more needs uh, educationally. And, um, and I agree with you that we need to really pay attention to our kids. Um, and if they're needing something that you just can't supply there, um, then consider coming back for a time. We did that and got our kids launched in college and, and then re-engaged later. So. One of our concerns was education, and I vowed I would never, ever homeschool, but of course that had to go. But <laughs> But in the early, so education, of course, is a big question no matter where you live. Um, and I think that even looking at people from our, our country service who want to serve overseas, thinking about their children and their education, it's, it's a huge topic. But um, we, for younger kids, it's a little bit easier. We, we put them into local schools, the black hole of, of uh, Mandarin-speaking life, and, uh, and uh, prayed a lot, and we had to make some changes over time. And then... Half day we did that, and half day we homeschooled. And uh, when they got older, we discovered some online, really good online resources. One of them is the Potter School, and uh, high-quality online education. I don't get any money from them. But. <laughs> I would individualize, too. So we put all three of our kids in local kindergartens. It worked great for one. It was terrible for another. Um, so just pay attention to how each one is is responding. And local school doesn't always work well if, if someone has a teacher who's being abusive. Yeah, we did too. And uh, homeschool can work great. Our kids, when they came back to the States, um, were kind of way ahead. And we just thought we were kind of homeschooling at a normal pace. Uh, but uh, MK schools can be a wonderful experience too. So it just depends on where you're going.
We, we also intentionally lived within a short walking distance of our teammates so that our kids had community because um, the local kids may or may not have much time as they get older to interact because of the pressures. So, so having, our, having uh, other friends in the courtyard and across the street is, has been and continues to be something that keeps us on the field. Um, one question, well, a couple questions, but um, it's related to non-medical spouses. I'm not sure if any of you guys can speak into this, but just questions about um, how did it look like for the non-medical spouses engaging in, in the calling as well? You know, how, how were they able to engage and that kind of thing? My wife's a counselor. It was no problem for her having things to do. Um, and working in a team, uh, usually it's a very multidisciplinary team, multi-international. Um, it was really no problem to plug in. The problem is probably saying no and not getting over-involved. My husband is a developer um, by trade. And when we moved overseas, he was working on starting a business. So I was... Uh, doing the children's therapy center, you know, whatever that looked like with our family life. Um, and then he was working on, again, starting this business with consulting and things like that. And he had a lot of great opportunities interacting with just in the coffee shops where we lived um, with other other men that were also business people because that's where you did business. Um, he, you know, the neighbors sitting in the stores down the street. Like, but we did things together, too, because we met other families that we were able to engage in conversation with when we were just out and about in the community um, as a family. So we had our, you know, some things we did separately, but then we did have things we did together as a family, too. And I think those are important questions to be asking as you're looking at teams. Like, what does that look like? Here, here's my skill set, and here's my gifts, things, and passions. Here's my spouse's skill set, giftings, and passions. And, and there are certainly opportunities out there for both spouses, no matter what you do. There's, there's lost everywhere, and there's ways to use your skills and passions in, in whatever you want Amen. And God can use non-medical spouses. Yes, okay. Uh, uh, I, my boss will want me to briefly introduce myself. I am non-medical. My name is John. I'm with Servant Administration with Incentive Family Medicine Residency. And I got to date Ava because she married one of our residents, graduates. So that was pretty special. Uh, and uh, my, put my wife through nursing school, Nicole, and she's going to be one of the discussion groups later. And, uh, and she's doing what some of you talked about. Uh, she's befriended seven different Afghan refugee families over the last year. A part of that as well. So I've got some resources I want to share with you, and then we're going to have some more question and answers. And uh, so. Here is the first one, is in terms of the next step, um, there's something called the Goward Cohort. And this is a um, group, this is for those that are already called to be a Goward to the unreached. You may still be exploring this, may not be, may not be ready for this yet. Um, but it's a two-hour meeting every two months on Zoom. Um, so it's not a big um, commitment there. And during that two-hour meeting, there's a lot of things to do. You pray, get to know each other from across the country, memorize scriptures, hear from current missionaries, and then also be a part once a week of a 30-minute prayer call for the unreached. And Paige, have you done this? Tell us about that. 
Yeah, I'm a part of um, this group of people in the Goer cohort. I feel like it's very helpful. You know, we can all come to conferences like this and really, you know, be on the high of the conference as far as, you know, just feeling passionate about, you know, wanting to further the kingdom and, and do all these things. And then, you know, as with a lot of conferences, it can kind of whittle down over the year. And so I feel like that this, um, the Goer cohort has been a really awesome accountability um, just every other month. Um, meeting with like-minded people, hearing advice, um, yeah, just being being in a, a intentional type of community where we're memorizing scripture and doing things just to keep that keep that passion going, um, to to stay on track and encouraging each other in pursuing that. So, yeah, definitely recommend. Super, thank you, Paige, for sharing. So, there's about 2,000 people here at Global Missions Health Conference. It's really special and it's really big. There's another event in early March with about 200 people, and it's called the uh, see, the Priority 15 Gathering, focused on 15 unreached people groups for healthcare professionals and people in other missional professions. So, Paige, have you been to that? I sure have. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this uh, P15 Gathering, it's it's a really special time because. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit smaller scale, but people that are very kind of way um, narrow focused on the unreached specific people groups. Um, it's a wonderful time of just prayer and interceding for the nations, as well as you know opportunities too to connect with potential team members or people that are potentially interested in similar areas of the world. Um, so yeah. Hey, thank you. Um, let's see. We are going to cover more question and answers um, here. But I wanted to mention a resource here called, it's a website called askamissionary.com. And it was my privilege over 10 years to gather questions from aspiring missionaries like you guys. And answers from missionaries like our panelists, as well as others. And they gathered answers from 100 different missionaries around the world about some of the different subjects we're talking about now. So I want to encourage you to consider that as a resource. And uh, also, let's see what else do I have up here. We're going to be uh, breaking up into small groups a little bit uh, later in this morning. I want to just share briefly about that. This is what participants said last year. Uh, my group leader was great to answer a lot of the questions I had. We're going to divide it into 16 groups. My leader did a great job being open and honest about his experiences. The leaders wrote, this is very helpful for people, helping people move things forward. And uh, some people said it was the best part of GMHC, talking about real-life things, like five to ten people. So, uh, let's see, what's my next part here? So, uh, I'm going to put this slide up here. Um, if you want to sign up to get more info about exploring the journey to full-time missions, uh, go to bit.ly.com slash gmhc explore. The QR code may work for you if you're close enough up at bit.ly.com slash gmhc And so um, I'm going to be right back, Paige. Okay? But the, uh, I think some of my friends, uh, my wife Nicole, Peter, a few others, we're going to slip out the door and go upstairs together if you're one of the discussion coaches that are going to, we're going to kind of do a brief organization where we're going to come back down. So I'll be back here in a couple of minutes, okay? So, and Kayla's going to follow me out here too. Thanks. Sounds good. Um, 
I know we've had a handful of questions about families. Um, I think maybe a, a good transition at this point um, to address in the panel would be singleness. We have a handful of questions about that. Um, one of them is how do you navigate singleness but still having community to feel supported both on the field and back home? Um, uh, one of the other questions was how is going as a single person different from going with the family? What recommendations do you have for people going as singles? Um, so maybe if, uh, yeah, we could have some sharing with, with that topic. I don't know where to start. <laughs> These are all, like, really good questions. Um, and, and very good ones to ask, okay? This, these are, this is not something to take lightly. I'll speak to the community piece. Um, I'll, I'll just start there. So, yes, community on the field is very important um, for everybody, whether you're married or single. And um, that's an important discussion to have with your team, okay? The, you're, you need to have... Um, these talks and, you know, set out what are your expectations in, in terms of community, like what are you looking for, how are you, how do you receive love and care from other people, and how are they able to give it, and just getting these things out in the open is so important. Um, you know, the expectation of, you know, if, this is not across the board, but sometimes if there's other families on the field, sometimes they may look to you as babysitters. Um, you know, you need to get that out there with how you feel about that. Um, and those expectations need to be clear. Um, in uh, our organization, we do offer um, different ways to get together with other people on the field. And at those regional conferences and meetings, I was able to connect with other single women and others, other singles and get community that way. There's um, third-party organizations that do retreats for single people on the field. Um, highly recommended. Um, there's just... There's lots of ways, but these are good questions to ask, and do ask them um, of the organization and your team. It's, it's very possible to have good community. I also want to say look to the community of the local people as well. I was nervous about that because I was like, how am I going to get friends? But the Lord provided through a Spanish class. It's so strange. But I met other people that were my age. They were all single, and we almost every weekend we were doing some sort of an event together um, out in public, and it was okay. But... That was my community, and we loved each other, and I was able to share so much with them. Um, yeah, it, it was just a, it, so the Lord provided that even from the local community. That was I was really craving. Um, have a group of people back home that are praying for you. I had a group of girlfriends that I could email, and because we didn't have texting and all that when I was single and feel, but like you know, I need prayer about this or whatever, and they were faithful in responding and telling me that they were praying. So you need that community back home, yes, who's going to be supporting you as well, emotionally or whatever. You will go through times of loneliness. Everybody does, whether you're married or single, normal. Don't get scared. Um, but there are opportunities for community. You just might have to be a little creative in seeking that out. Yeah, I would definitely echo on several of those things. The expectation component is huge. Um, sometimes we don't know what we expect until we're not getting what we expect. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's really a matter of being aware of yourself um, and what's going on. Um, usually when, when our emotions are off, there is an unmet expectation somewhere. Um, and really try to dive into what, what am I feeling, what am I experiencing. Um, I would say one of the challenges, particularly for single women, thinking about going overseas to a Muslim contact, we can quickly say, oh, that's not a possibility. That, you know, that can't work. God opens amazing doors. Um, I was in a very strict Muslim context. I got in places that my married teammates never could have gotten into. 
Um, I got to develop deep relationships with women. Um, and I got to be a part of, of educating the first female doctors in the country. Um, that's pretty, pretty amazing to say that the Lord gave me that opportunity. But those were things that my teammates just never would have had a chance to be a part of. Um, and so don't dismiss your contribution to kingdom work. Um, because when we look at the biblical examples of people who made amazing strides for the gospel. There were a lot of single people in that story. And God used them powerfully. One of the other things I would really, really encourage you is know your identity in Christ. Um, And that's for every single one of us. But when you don't have a a partner speaking into that on a consistent basis for you, you're going to struggle. And so really have a deep understanding of who you are in Christ before you depart for the field. And if, if you don't even really understand what that means or how do I go about that, talk with people about that. Really dive deeply into that. Um, and then another thing I would encourage, have a wealth of people speaking into your life. Um, there are ways to go about that. I, I really, in, in my role in member care, I encourage people to have a three-tier approach. You should have somebody on your team that is kind of an accountability partner that you're meeting with consistently. Um, that really knows what's going on in your life, can be really touching base on, I'm struggling in this area, or this is, this is a challenge. But then also having somebody outside of your team context um, is really helpful. Because when there's challenges within the team, um, or it may even be your accountability partner that you're struggling with, having somebody that you're actually meeting with, um, maybe somebody that's further along in this journey than you that can serve as a mentor. And then I think it's also helpful to have somebody way outside of the context, somebody that's known you for a long time, knows when you're really wrestling. So when, you, when you're connecting base with them, they, they can call you on your bluff of, I'm doing fine, everything's good, we're, doing, we're going great. They can call you out, and they can say, no, I know that's not the case, what's going on? And if, and if you're married... Be sensitive to the single people in your community, especially at holiday times and birthdays. And uh, I remember early on there was sometimes one of the single teachers that one one that I didn't know that well, but she asked if she could come over for Christmas, and and so that really started a really sweet friendship with her and our family. And then we've had other people over the years even spend the night at our house around the holidays and um, and just be a part of because for them that was a really difficult. So to be alone, and not every single person feels that way, but just being open to that. Yeah, that's good. I might just add that uh, my wife and I have felt more of a sense of community overseas than we have here. Um, and there's just something about being in that situation together that helps. It glues you together. And one more quick picture, and this is for everybody. Get to know your teammates. How they, how they experience love. What's their love language? Um, that's, that's a huge component of loving each other, is knowing how to love them the way they receive it. I went two years not being touched once. My love language is touch. And that's hard. And so I had to learn that about myself and be able to openly share. Like, this is a need I have. And my team rallied around me, and, and it made all the difference. But know yourself and know your team. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you guys for sharing all that. I'm sure that's really helpful for, for some of y'all out there. Um, 
We have a, maybe if we could transition just to a different topic of, of money. We have a handful of questions maybe we could hit on in regards to that. Um, the first one being the issue of student loan debt and how do you handle that or how does that play into your timing of going? Sure. I, you know, Project MetSend is a godsend for people who want to go quickly. Um, but um, there are also lots of opportunities here in the U.S. for getting your loans paid back. And like I mentioned before, I think it's not a bad idea to get some good, solid experience here before you go. So don't always be in a rush to get going. Yeah, we were also MedFin recipients. So that's been a huge blessing. And even focusing on... The likelihood is when you move overseas, you're going to be living simplistically. You can live simplistically here. Um, and you can be aggressively paying back loans during this time and preparing yourself in what it's going to look like to live simplistically overseas. That's good. Um, the next question uh, in regards to money is, as a full-time missionary, if you're raising support, how do you think about putting away money for eventual retirement? Um, our organization has that as part of our um, what we raise support for, and so it's in our budget. Yeah, ours as well. It's always good to plan ahead. Another reason to not go Lone Ranger. Um, the next question is, are there any ideas for self-funding strategies without 100% of your income being support-raised? guys have had heard of any teammates or had anybody do anything alternative? As medical workers uh, working with the local tenants organizations, uh, you really get paid quite well uh, for short-term uh, times of working. So you can consider that um, there are some organizations where on a regular basis you can go back to the same rural town and serve, so you, you really have some continuity as well. So that's, that's one option when you're as a rural hospitalist or in rural areas. One of our friends in Asia, they goes back for a few weeks every year back and does ER work in, here in Kentucky. So. They have four kids in college, no three, so I feel like they need to do that. With the support raising piece and, and working in guinea pigs, um, just check your check your heart on that. I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong or whatever, and you know the Lord leads people in different ways. But just check your heart. Um, there's a lot of benefits to support raising. Um, you get a lot of people behind you uh, praying for you that are a part of the work. Um, support raising, I think, is a great thing. Um, but just just be aware where your heart's at on that. The more the Lord may be will, uh, leading you to do both. And honestly, as a medical as medical people. If you really feel a passion about where God is calling you, you have very well-resourced people that you already know <laughs> that aren't going anywhere but want a, want a partner, and that's been a, definitely apparent for us. Yeah, I would agree. If your motivation for doing that is to be self-sufficient or um, not wanting to ask, then that's not a good motivation. Um, one question is, what type of visa do you have for the country you serve? So questions about access. 
that really depends on the country. Every single country is going to be different. Um, and this may not be across the board, but I would encourage you to avoid a missionary visa if, if that's an option in your country. Because once that's in your passport, it's in your passport. And that, that affects other countries you might go to. We're in a creative access context, and we have a work visa with um, a clinic in a local small hospital, so work visa. Originally, only my husband went on a work visa, and I went as a spouse and our, as a dependent, um, because for the first couple years, I was full-time in language. We both were. But, um, over the, but then later, I transitioned to getting my own work visa as well, because uh, the, the rules were getting stricter, and so if you're, even if you're doing volunteer work, um, the authorities frowned on that if you, because you're supposed to spend your time where your visa says you are. So if you're a spouse, you're supposed to be at home. So, and I wasn't staying at home. <laughs> if you're considering future work in a creative access country, you need to be thinking about that early on in everything you do, uh, especially social media, uh, what courses you take, the titles of your degrees, uh, because all of that stuff ends up on transcripts and if there's too much uh, Christianese in there, uh, you may not get a visa. So you are. And, and I really, to echo on Ava, be super careful about visas and what you're doing in a country based on that visa. So like volunteer visa or spouse visa. Um, practicing medicine in most countries is strictly illegal under those kind of visas and can get you in a lot of trouble. So just be really aware of the laws of your country that you're serving. And on the other hand, someone with a medical training like people in this, in this group, you have a tremendous open door to places where people without that professional training really don't get a foot in the door. And so it, it's very legitimate in almost any context. So it really is great. Another option to consider is just getting a job in one of those countries as a way to, um, to get in and to serve. Um, I'm supposed to ask Emily and Corey, the volunteers with group list, to go to the front doors. Um, so we'll be wrapping up here uh, in a couple minutes. Um, so we have a, a question about what does it look like to keep you protected in close countries or your loved ones? I know that's a loaded question. Maybe, you know, just brief thoughts. We have an evacuation plan that we have to update periodically with our team. So understanding, like, all the methods of quick exit from your country. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> statistically, most uh, M workers die in car accidents. I would also say have, have a good understanding of your theology of risk and suffering. Um, that's, that's a huge component of this work, particularly if you're being called to a closed access country. Uh, by law, the country I lived in, I had a, an armed soldier at all times. Um, at first, I really bucked against that, but the Lord had a lot in that. And I got to be deeply known by somebody who was with me 24-7 um, that I would have never had an opportunity to share my faith with. And be, be known in your community. Um, when you are known in your community, people protect you. I, people, I tell people, we 
strict, but we felt safer being overseas than we do in the States. I mean, we, in, a, in a Muslim context, we felt very comfortable, very safe in our community. People knew who we were. We were well cared for. They loved us. We knew if there was an issue, we would have help. Um, yeah, so be known in your community um, and trust the Lord with what, what he has. I mean, if he's called you there, he's going to provide. If you need to evacuate, he's, you know, he will provide. Makes sense in your country also. Have an understanding of who you are and what you're doing. Um, because people are going to ask you, why are you here? What are you doing? And if your story doesn't fit with what you're doing, that's where trouble starts to happen. And just be streetwise, as you would in any city or place. And listen to your neighbors. We, we had neighbors that would warn us when things weren't quite right. We couldn't sense it, but they could. Learn some language. You're so helpless if you can't get basic communication. Good. Um, well, we'll just wait for John to get here. He should, he should be here by now, but we'll just have a couple more minutes of questions. Um, I know that there's some um, APPs here. We have a question about that as far as how do you get into other countries as a mid-level provider when maybe mid-level jobs are not as recognized in other countries or not as uh, common. Yeah, that can be challenging. Um, much of the world doesn't recognize that level of a provider, but it really just depends. And if, if the Lord's calling you there, he's going to make a way. Um, he opened a wide open door to a country that we thought was completely closed and I would have no access to. I ended up as, as a PA teaching medical students um, for a country. That, that just seems off in my mind, but that was what the Lord... Uh, called me to, and um, it was amazing. And so, don't don't close a door where the Lord hasn't closed. Um, if, if He's opening something, just take those steps of faith. He never promises to show us the whole story of how's this going to work out. I spent four years in one country where I couldn't do a single thing except for learn language and get to know people. But that four years of preparatory work before I moved to my other country was essential for the work the Lord had for me. For. I've noticed that God tends to call people years before the need's going to show up. And yesterday I went to the, the uh, nurse practitioner session and was just pleased to see how many people were there. Um, I think there's going to be a huge need for nurse practitioners and PAs in the future. There just are not enough primary care doctors. WHO is calling for that. What it's going to look like is still a puzzle, um, and it still is difficult in many countries, but um, I think that's going to change. Yeah. And I think that regardless of what, which, um, what your field is um, in that regard, being, being willing to adapt what you might do in the field, because so many of us are mostly trained in clinical, hands-on, direct patient care, and on the field, I mean, you might work in a hospital, but if you're doing more community-based work where I would argue, a, you know, a, a, a larger percentage of, of the needs are overall or hidden under the surface, uh, maybe shifting from thinking of yourself as a direct clinician to more of a, of a teacher. And, and who you're teaching can vary broadly. Yeah, I would echo that. There are a lot of advantages to teaching um, and it also it gets you away from the need for a license often uh, because you're not doing direct patient care where you're responsible, but you're teaching others. And I think, again, there's going to be a big need to teach nurse practitioners worldwide soon. 
But Nicole, do you know if John is coming back? Yeah. Oh, we have one more question. Uh, actually, we have, it's actually a couple questions, so this will be good that we have the time to, to hit on it real quick. Um, it's questions about how do you navigate the difference between Western medicine or versus the medicine practice style in your country? Um, how does training translate um, into other contexts, you know, versus like traditional medicine or, yeah. I would strongly recommend um, trying to get some training in tropical medicine uh, before you go overseas. Um, depending on your context, you're going to encounter diseases that we, we spend maybe 30 minutes in our education even talking about, um, but they, they're commonplace, malaria, dengue, all of that on a, on a daily basis were, were a part of my work. And so had I not done further training in that, I would have been pretty clueless, especially when I got dengue. <laughs> I think having an open mind about your country's traditional medicine practices and not having a harsh uh, judgment about what you think they are or are not good at. Um, just be a learner. You know, I, understanding that there may be spiritual overtones to certain things, but, but above all, you know, be a learner, pray, just ask questions and don't come across as patronizing and yeah, and I would learn a lot about herbal medicine. There's a lot of good database behind various herbs, and sometimes those are much more available and cheaper. So. I just echo what Ava said. The understanding where people are coming from, like I'm approaching it from a therapy standpoint, so rehab standpoint, and how they look at view disability, sometimes you're not even welcome because it's, they don't want their kid to get better. You know, it, so you, you have to enter into that and understand and um and, and learn how they're thinking and then translate how you're thinking, how they're thinking into how you can reach them where they're at. And realizing that even when you know beyond a shadow that you're right, that it really doesn't matter. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Well, are you guys ready for an exciting transition here? Um, so I'm going to explain this. Uh, and we're not going to move until I'm done, okay? But we're going to be dividing up into 16 different groups here. Um, and uh, you'll be actually uh, able to, let's see, how do I want to do this? You'll actually, I'll just go here. I'll mention this here. Before your small group finishes, please take a minute to complete the evaluation. So the little white page that is on your chair, take it with you, but don't fill it out till the end of your small group, Okay. Uh, and at the end of the evaluation, there's a question about future se- se- session suggestions. Put the name of your discussion coach and put a yes, no, or maybe about whether we should use them as a discussion coach again. Okay? Um, just, just be able to help. You know, some people are great at some things, some at not at others. And so there's a reason that I'm not a uh, discussion coach. What's your, yes, what's your question? Okay, there should be another white paper on a, a blue sheet there. Okay, so we are going to uh, be dividing up into different groups. I'm going to just let me throw, see if I can throw this all up on the screen at once here. Okay, there's going to be seven different kinds of groups for you to go to. Okay, and uh, when you leave the room here in a minute, I'm going to hand you the list of room numbers. Okay, so you can take the picture if you want to, that's fine. Uh, but this is the, uh, you get a slip, and we're going to actually have everyone exit during the front doors of either side of this room. Everybody's going to leave, 
and then you're going to come back in a room. Maybe this room. Maybe another room. Okay? And so, if you're single, when you go into single groups or nursing, you're actually going to leave this room, go out for a couple of minutes while we empty the room. Um, don't re-enter until the room's been emptied. And then, uh, and then there's door. Can you see? It's a little hard to see. But over the doors, there's tape. Does it say A over there? And then B over here, C over there, and D over there. So there's four doors to come back in. Uh, and you pick the door based on the kind of group you want to go to. Okay? And when you come in, you'll get a slip of paper which will tell you which circle to go to. So there's different, you guys are going to create the circles. There's chairs around the room, this up here, circle number 10. What's that circle number over there? Six. So there's different circles around the room in order. You'll go to your circle and there'll be a discussion coach with you. If you're in uh, A or B, it's easy. You'll just hang out in the hallway and come back in here in two minutes. But if you're C or D, you're going to turn left when you go out this door, go another left, another left. You're going to make a U-turn, and you're going to come in uh, either door C or D from the hallway. If you want to go to one of the rooms with couples, you'll actually get to go upstairs. So you go out the doors behind me. You'll turn right, do a short walk. Kayla will be there. She'll point you to the, make a left turn through the double doors, and you'll go upstairs, and you'll go to one of those rooms. And we're going to have 16 groups that will go about uh, until. And so, uh, what kind of questions do you guys have? Is there a bathroom break? There's no official bathroom break. Just do what you Okay. End up coming back in the right door, okay? Uh, yes. Uh, what's the difference between heading and exploring? If you're exploring full-time, but you really aren't too far into it, that's great. We've got a group for you, okay? If you're, hey, I'm already heading there. I've kind of already made plans. Uh, that's what we want to do. And so, Paige, I think you wrap it up here, right? Hey, sounds good. Thank you all for coming um, to this session. I think that uh, even the smaller groups will be able to have a little bit more of your questions and thoughts addressed. Um, Rebecca, could you close us? Yeah, and nobody can leave through the back door. Everybody leave through the front door. We're about to pray. Okay, Rebecca, will you finish us in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time today. We thank you for all of these people in this room. We thank you for where you have them in this process. God, you have called people from every language, tribe, nation, and tongue to be before your throne. Um, and we thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of that process. I ask that you would give wisdom and guidance to each individual here in whatever stage they're at, that they would be bold in taking those steps of faith forward um, as you call them to do that. Just hand, pray your hand of blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join me in thanking our panelists.